Amen. Well, shall we turn to Isaiah chapter 19 this evening? Isaiah chapter 19. Uh, the title of the sermon tonight is uh, Egypt's Judgment and Redemption. Egypt's Judgment and Redemption. And there are surprises in the Word of God. And in many ways, as we get to Isaiah chapter 19, there are surprises here. Because as I began to prepare this sermon, um, I thought, boy, oh boy, oh boy, another oracle, and this time an oracle against Egypt. And I'm thinking, you know, knowing the history of the Bible and the Exodus and all the judgments that God brought there, but it was surprising, it was a blessing to read this chapter and to see that the Lord has a blessing for Egypt. Let's hear Isaiah chapter 19. An oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt, and the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence. And the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. And I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians, and they will fight each against another, and each against his neighbor. City against city, kingdom against kingdom, and the spirit of the Egyptians within them will be emptied out. And I will confound their counsel, and they will inquire of the idols and the sorcerers and the mediums and the necromancers, and I will give over the Egyptians into the hand of a hard master. And a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord God of hosts. And the waters of the sea will be dried up, and the river will be dry and parched, and its canals will become foul, and the branches of Egypt's Nile will diminish and dry up. Reeds and rushes will rot away. There will be bare places by the Nile, on the brink of the Nile, and all that is sown by the Nile will be parched, will be driven away, and will be no more. The fishermen will mourn and lament. All who cast a hook in the Nile, they will languish, who spread nets on the water. The workers in combed flax will be in despair, and the weavers of white cotton, those who are the pillars of the land will be crushed, and all who work for pay will be grieved. The princes of Zoan will, are utterly foolish, and the wisest counselors of Pharaoh give stupid counsel. How can he say to Pharaoh, I am a son of the wise, a son of ancient kings? Where then are your wise men? Let them tell you that they might know what the Lord of hosts has purposed against Egypt. The princes of Zoan have become fools, and the princes of Memphis are deluded. Those who are uh, the cornerstones of her tribes have made Egypt stagger. The Lord has mingled within her a spirit of confusion. They will make Egypt stagger in all its deeds, as a drunken man staggers in his vomit. And there will be nothing for Egypt that head or tail, palm branch or reed may do. Verse 16, In that day the Egyptians will be like women, 
and tremble with fear before the hand that the Lord of hosts shakes over them. And the land of Judah will become a terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because of the purpose that the Lord of hosts has purposed against them. In that day there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. One of these will be called the city of destruction. In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt when they cry to the Lord because of oppressors. He will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering. And they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord. And he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance." So the title of the sermon tonight is Egypt's Judgment and Redemption, or Egypt's Judgment and Healing. In fact, that's probably a better title, Egypt's Judgment and Healing. And the promises here are remarkable. We started off with 19 verse 1, an oracle concerning Egypt. And we think whenever we get the word oracle, it's a word loaded with judgment. But there almost definitely will be, almost always... Uh, mercy there somewhere but with Egypt what may we expect as as we said already that that's where the exodus came from do you remember the 10 plagues that God threw down in Egypt and the 10th plague was the death of the firstborn remember that and uh, and then God delivered Israel out of Egypt and and as they were being delivered Pharaoh changed his mind and said don't let these people go and so he chased after them on his horses and chariots and came after them, and, and, and God halted them. And, uh, and then what happened was that we know the story that Moses uh, said to the people uh, on behalf of the Lord, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And then Moses lifted up his rod, and the people went across on dry ground. The Egyptians followed, and they were drowned by the Lord. Now this is the same Egypt 
but centuries later. We have in our house a wonderful uh, print. It's not a painting, it's a, a print of a painting which pictures the Red Sea. You can just see the back of Moses lifting up the rod and the, the, the waters parted. Of course, it points us forward to the, uh, the one who is greater than Moses, who is Jesus Christ our Lord, and, and the gospel, and, and the death of Jesus upon the cross, and his glorious resurrection, and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But here, what might we expect Almighty God to do to Egypt? Um, would we expect a chapter full of wrath and fire, uh, giving further judgments upon Egypt. Uh, our headings are given a moment, but we may expect that the headings would be number one, judgments on Egypt, number two, further judgments on Egypt, number three, final judgments on Egypt, or something like that. But surprisingly, in this chapter, chapter 19, the, the gospel comes to Egypt, which I, I personally believe is still holding true to this very day. We've lived on a mission ship, we've visited lots of different nations in the world. If there's one evangelical church that stands out in my mind, where I've preached to, it's the Egyptian church. They, not a huge church, but there are evangelical uh, Egyptian churches who take God seriously, they take worship seriously, they take theology seriously, and I can remember the distinct imprint that it's left on my mind to this very day. And it wasn't just one congregation, it's Christians in Egypt. And so we're looking tonight at the Word of God, but God draws in the gospel not only for the Egyptians, but also for the Assyrians. Remember the Assyrians? They also were an enemy of the people of God. In fact, the Assyrian Empire took the northern kingdom into exile. And we remember the book of Jonah. Remember Jonah? He was sent to preach to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrians. So the three headings for us tonight are simply this. Number one, Egypt judged. Egypt judged. Number two, Egypt healed. Egypt healed. And number three, uh, Egypt worships. They're not just healed, but they worship. So the first heading we're going to focus on the first number of verses in chapter 19, an oracle concerning Egypt. And it begins, Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt, and the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence. Up until this point, Egypt was famous for a number of things. One, it's horses. They were one of the biggest exporters in the known world of, of horses. The equivalent of horses today would be tanks or some kind of military hardware. But they were specialized in horses. But Egypt was also renowned for its diverse idolatry. Its diverse idolatry. And God says here that the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence. Now, we've got to remember that what we're looking at tonight is uh, we have... If you think about how many years there are between today and Isaiah 19, it's about 2,700 years. That's a long time. Now, sometimes people, they do research on things like the Westminster Assembly, and it's commendable, it's great. But it's always not that easy because you know, you're looking about 350 years back, and 
And when you've got 350 years distance between us and there, you lose information, you lose documents, you can't go to interview someone and say, you know, what was it like? So therefore, you can imagine the challenge that we have when we're trying to understand the context of Egypt, uh, not 2,000 years ago, but this is about 700 years before Christ came. But nonetheless, all lines of truth flow towards Christ and from Christ to the glory of God. And we're going to see something of Christ here in, in this prophecy of judgment on Egypt. Look in at 19 verse 1. The idols are going to be cast down. What's going to happen in verse 2? God will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians. They will fight against each other. God's going to provoke some form of a civil war in Egypt. And then we find the Nile River is included. Now, it says here in verse 5 and 6, the waters of the sea will be dried up and the river will be dry and parched. Its canals will become foul and the branches of Egypt's Nile will diminish. What is the River Nile? The River Nile is the longest river on the planet. It's the longest river on the planet. And if any nation depends upon uh, the River Nile, it's certainly Egypt. God's going to dry it up. In verse 8, the fishermen on the Nile will mourn and lament. All who cast a hook in the Nile, they will languish, who spread nets on the water. Verse 14 goes on. The Lord has mingled within her a spirit of confusion. And then in verse 15, and there will be nothing for Egypt. That head or tail, palm branch or reed may do. And we may expect to find an amen and then move into another chapter and that's it. Egypt finished, decimated absolutely laid to waste, and they were laid to waste at the Exodus. So God is promising judgment on Egypt. It's a picture of utter devastation of Egypt. And we need to remind it, we began with a call to worship tonight, and the tr we worship the triune God through Jesus Christ. The God who's going to utterly devastate Egypt is the God in whose name I am preaching, and the God in whose name we are worshipping tonight. So clearly, the Bible does not present the God of the Bible as some little teddy bear. You know, it's a sad thing sometimes that um, uh, not every Christian student is like this. But sometimes over the years, I would be invited to, you know, Christian unions. And somehow... We're living in a time where professing Christians sometimes in university gatherings, they, they want to be cool and, and hip and, you know, and probably feel embarrassed to be set apart with the presentation of how God is presented. And sometimes I, I hear people on, on student campuses in these Christian units praying. And I think, who are they praying to? It's as if they're addressing some kind of teddy bear the kind of language that people use. And, and what we have presented here is the most holy God whose Son is Jesus Christ. And we, we sang tonight uh, the Word of God. We sang uh, uh, Psalm 114. 
And it tells us this, verse 7, Tremble, O earth, before the Lord. And God is a God before whom we must tremble. And so here we find in, in the Word of God, I'm just going to get my notes sorted out now. I've messed them all up. Just give me a moment. Um, so the presentation of what we have here is that we're to tremble before the Lord. Is there a need of a restoration of trembling, do you think, of God in the church? Well, I believe it's most urgent. But the first heading is Egypt judged. The second heading, we can breathe a sigh of relief, Egypt healed. Egypt healed. Now, we looked at Saul of Tarsus this morning. And one of the things we learned is if Saul can be converted, there's hope for anybody. There's hope for anybody. And what we find now is that God has ordained for Egypt that not only they will be judged, but the Lord has a real surprise blessing for them, for them to be healed. Now, some Christians, they, they're all confused in their eschatology, their doctrine of the last things. They, they think, oh God, he's finished with Britain today, he's finished with the church. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He'll never be finished with his church for all eternity. But our confidence has to be rooted in the word of God. And if God can restore Egypt, which he promises here, then there's hope for any nation. And so our second heading, Egypt healed. And uh, unlike Babylon, their judgment was irreversible. But here we see in chapter 19 and verse 16, we'll read there, it says, In that day the Egyptians will be like women and tremble with fear before the hand that the Lord of hosts shakes over them. So here we see this work of God, that God's going to cause them to tremble before the Lord of hosts. There's no nonsense there that people are saying, oh, the reason why the River Nile, it's all dried up because of climate change and, and there are all these icebergs breaking off from Antarctica and, you know, if we all stop driving cars and if you get yourself a new bike, you know, then Egypt, everyone will be fine. It's, it's just atheistic talk. But here we see that God's going to bring the Egyptians to a point that they realize that it's God Almighty who's, who's making them tremble and that they realize that it's the Lord of hosts who shakes over them. And though we get brainwashed every single day from some direction, we must never forget that Almighty God is in control of every judgment, everywhere, which is what we're learning in Isaiah chapter 19. But then we just go a bit further, verse 17. Um, and the land of Judah will become a terror to the Egyptians, and everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because of the purpose that the Lord of hosts has purposed against them. So God has a purpose in everything that he does. It's not some kind of blind, um, uh, purposeless event. And there are no events in this world that are not without purpose. But look at verse 18. In that day... There will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. So here we see Egypt's going to be healed. Five cities in, in Egypt, God's going to get them to swear allegiance to 
God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. But it doesn't stop there. There's a real further turning point in chapter 19 and verse 21. If you look there with me, it says, And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. What a wonderful promise. Why are you here tonight? Because the Lord made himself known to you. And if you don't know him, well, the gospel is here for you tonight that you would turn to God through Jesus Christ and not put off another day without turning to him in faith and in repentance. What a wonderful thing it is to know that in, in, in verse 18, um, sorry, verse 19, in that day there will be an altar uh, in, of the Lord to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border it will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt when they cry to the Lord because of oppressors he will send them a savior and defender and deliver them who is that savior it's none less than Jesus Christ who is Lord who's the savior not just for the house of Israel but Jesus says go and preach the gospel in all nations <clears throat> now there were people from Egypt on the day of Pentecost and there's an Egyptian church today and so we see that the savior of sinners whether you're from Egypt whether you're from Iran whether you're from Brazil it's the same person It's Jesus Christ our Lord and salvation is in no other name so in 9 and verse uh, 21 and we've said already and the lord will make himself known to the egyptians and the egyptians will know the lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering and they will make vows to the lord and perform them let me just stop there for a moment before i come to the next verse 22 that we're just reminded aren't we again of the book of romans Paul writes, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And God says, I'm going to judge Egypt, but now he's going to turn around and have compassion on Egypt of all nations. We may think they don't deserve this. Do you deserve the gospel? Do you deserve forgiveness of sins? No. It's the grace of God, the compassion of the Lord. Let me read it one more time. Verse 21. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. When the Lord sets his eye on one of the elect, there's no running away. You didn't choose Jesus. If you're in Christ, he first chose you. What a wonderful gospel that is. And likewise here for the Egyptians, the Lord made, will make himself known to the Egyptians. So may we never have any foothold for self-righteousness, thinking, yeah, well, I'm not quite as bad as him and whatever else. Yes, you are, and probably worse. If you're a Christian, it's all down to the grace of God, that God has had mercy upon you through Christ. God has had compassion upon you. And he's promising the same thing for Egypt in 19 verse 21. 
And then verse 22, and the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord, and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. And what we find here, the pathway for these Egyptians to come to the Lord, it says, and they will return to the Lord, is through repentance. That this is not a message of judgment and healing without repentance. What does repentance mean? It means, it means returning to the Lord. It means turning direction to the Lord. Repentance means turning from our sin, turning in brokenness, in judgment, humility, but it means turning to the Lord. So there's no healing for the Egyptians without repentance. And so what we learn is very searching, a doctrine here for the Egyptians of true repentance. Now, it goes further also for us as Christians and believers that we still need a doctrine of true repentance all of our lives. Because repentance is an initial gift when we first turn to the Lord and in faith and have our sins forgiven. But repentance is a lifetime gift. And, and here we find that the Egyptians, the pathway to healing for them is through true repentance. And it's possible for us as Christians to know all about repentance as a doctrine, to know we could read all the best books on repentance and yet still fail to repent time and time again. But we're to turn to the Lord in sorrow for our sin, not, not covering up for our sin, but a deep turning to the Lord. And so this message in Isaiah is thrilling, the, the message of the gospel, but it always includes repentance. And before I move to the third and last heading, in a moment, that the Egyptians worship the Lord. Do you remember I cited the foundation, uh, founder rather, of the Salvation Army uh, a few months ago, uh, William Booth? And William Booth predicted that the day would come when we'd have a gospel, you know, without Jesus. It would be a gospel, you know, one without repentance. We'd have a heaven without hell, and so on. And you think, clearly, he was prophetic in, in what he foretold. And don't we live uh, in that generation, certainly today, but not just in the world and their message, in the church. We, we have you know, soft messages that are being presented, come to Jesus, but it's come to Jesus without any repentance whatsoever. But Jesus says, you must, you must turn. He says uh, here in verse 20, Two, and the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing. They will return to the Lord, and then he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. Now, I don't want to go back in church history and to kind of, you know, put a, you know, a romantic view of things in church history, but when I read about people like George Whitfield in the 18th century uh, and their conversion that People like him, they seem to really struggle to press through to lay hold of the Lord before they had that assurance, sometimes over weeks. But the Holy Spirit led them, sometimes over months, but the Holy Spirit led them to genuine repentance of laying hold of the Lord. And that kind of idea today is kind of foreign. Well, I don't have time for that. 
You know, it, the, the problem is it's called an, an easy believism. Simply believe in Jesus. But here we find in, in Isaiah chapter 19, and we find in the ministry of Jesus, that there has to be true, genuine, deep repentance, turning from sin, turning from all that we've been relying upon, and turning to the Lord. And that's the place where we'll find healing. It's not that repentance is a work. Salvation's a, a free gift. But we have to approach God in the way that he is, he is prescribed. But our third and last heading is this, that Egypt is judged and Egypt is healed. But lastly, Egypt worships. In verse 23, as we draw to a close, our third heading, Egypt worships. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance." And in back in verse 19, it says, In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt. What do we learn? Well, hopefully that struck us that the Egyptians would no longer need to go up to Jerusalem to worship God. God would have an altar in Egypt. And of course, the day of Pentecost, when Jesus was raised from the dead and the Holy Spirit was poured out, and then the gospel was preached in all these different nations that we no longer have to go on pilgrimage. Most religions today have some kind of hatch. In the dark ages in this country, you, 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 if you committed sin, you would go and see a priest and you'd have to say all kinds of things to get your sins forgiven. And some of the things that they would tell people, you need to uh, you know, pray to Mary and you also need to go on some Christian pilgrimage, and that's the way you would repent. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Here it says that God would have an altar in Egypt, that there'd be a church planted in Egypt itself, and they would no longer have to go up to Jerusalem. The gospel would spread to Egypt. Of all nations, the gospel would take root in Egypt and has taken root and there's been a church in Egypt for 2,000 years since the resurrection of Christ. God's word is yes and amen. It's absolutely up to date. And so what do we think about worship today? As God says, they will worship. And notice, it's not just the Egyptians. God would join the Egyptians, the enemy of God's people, the Assyrians, whom Jonah preached to, and Israel as well, and they would come together and they would worship the same God. What does that teach us? There's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's only sinners that need to be saved. And remember, as we come to a close this evening, Jesus said this. He said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father, you worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. 
God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And finally, we remember what the woman, the Samaritan woman, what she professed. You remember in John 4, she said this, it is no longer uh, because of what you have said, that's to the woman that we believe, but the Samaritan said, we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And Jesus is the Savior of the world. Whether you're an Egyptian, whether you're an Assyrian, wherever you're from, the message is, come unto Jesus Christ. John Bunyan preached, well, I think it was a sermon, but he's certainly got the title of a book, and it has a wonderful title. And what is it? No matter what nation you're from, John Bunyan preached this and said, come and welcome to Jesus Christ. What does God say to the Egyptians? A nation who we wouldn't expect to find mercy. He says, come and welcome to Jesus Christ. At the end of World War II, and there's a written record of this, some of the worst Nazi criminals, ones who committed terrible atrocities, the Lord arranged for them to have a Christian chaplain as they were being brought to trial in Nuremberg. And not all of them, but many of them were brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why? As we've read already tonight, it says in the Word of God um, that it's the Lord who will make himself known. And the Lord made himself known to some of the worst criminals. I remember reading that many years ago, well, not many, a few years ago, and reading about these Nazi criminals who were getting saved. Well, they were saved, it was before I was born. And I felt the inner Pharisee rising up inside of me. Have you ever had that? I thought, I don't want these Nazi criminals to be saved. This is terrible, what they've done. But we've heard in Romans chapter 9, God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. They couldn't turn back the terrible things they've done, but God brought a number of them to a genuine saving knowledge of Christ, trusting in Christ alone. And we will meet some of those as our brothers in heaven. And God here has mercy upon the Egyptians because God will have mercy on whom he will have.